right, welcome in. I'm Matt Hayes. This is First and Ten, the podcast on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. Got a big show for you today. I always have a big show for you. Talking SEC ball like no one else. Got a nice guest lined up. We're going to talk college football, playoff, and the SEC. It's November. It's the games that everyone remembers, everyone. Time to start talking how to get there, how to get one of those four magical spots to try and win it all. And, of course, what would November be without more hot seat talk? That's pretty much what happens in November in college football. You're either playing for a championship or someone's talking about how you should be fired. And we're going to get into that momentarily with my good friend Owen Buchanan at texags.com. Owen has been covering Texas A&M for years. Knows that place, that program, those people as good or better than anyone. We're going to break down the situation with Kevin Sullman right now, who has been on the hot seat since the SEC spring meetings in Destin when his AD, Scott Woodward, went on national TV and said, yeah, Kevin's got to win this year. And immediately the pressure was on. Okay, but first we have to take care of some house cleaning by thanking our fantastic sponsor, Holiday Inn Express. Why settle for ready, people? When you can be the readiest, okay? The Holiday Inn Express tailgate is back this Saturday in the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn, Alabama, to get all Tiger and Dog fans the readiest before the game. Grab all your friends, head over to the SEC Nation anytime between 9 a.m. and noon to have a virtual interview with the one and only Paul Feinbaum. Give Paul your expert opinion and tell him your prediction for the game. You could even go by what I'm going to tell you later in the show with the picks, you know. If you want to do that, give Paul a fired up school chant to show you're the readiest on game day. And while you're there, you'll get a chance to make your own pancakes in less than a minute with the one touch pancake machine. Come on. What's better than the one touch machine? Holiday Inn Express doesn't want any SEC fans heading into the game hungry. The Holiday Inn Express tailgate is located right by the SEC Nation tent. You won't want to miss out on this awesome tailgate experience. Holiday Inn Express can't wait to see you on Saturday at SEC Nation. All right, but now I want to bring in my good friend Owen Buchanan at texags.com. Owen has covered the Ags for years. No one does it better. That site is fantastic, by the way, texags.com. It's not just content. It's also uh, audio and visual, and, and they do a terrific job. Owen, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? Man, I'm doing great, uh, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, so let's get into all things Aggies, Owen. Uh, clearly, from the SEC meetings in Destin, when Scott Woodward said Kevin Sumlin's got to win and, and got to make it impressive, uh, and now suddenly here we are in November, and like it has been for, I guess, four or five Novembers now, or three or four Novembers, uh, the Aggies are collapsing. What, what's the situation right now? Do you expect, or I should say, what do you think Kevin Sumlin has to do right now to keep his job, and do you expect it to happen? Yeah, I don't know that uh, uh, it hasn't already been decided that he's going to be replaced. It may, it may have, uh, just not uh, just not officially. I guess he could save his job. I would think if uh, maybe if they finished out the regular season, won all three games, and he stayed around for a bowl game and won that one, then you'd be nine and four, and that technically would be better than the eight, you know, three straight eight and five seasons. And Scott Woodward did say, hey, eight wins isn't good enough. Well, that would be nine wins. But I think he was talking regular season. Uh, quite frankly, I'd be surprised if uh, 
if uh, Kevin Sumlin did retain his job. I'm not so sure the decision hasn't already been made uh, internally. Oh, and the, I mean, the numbers are just are as bad as they are shocking. I mean, 2-12 and 12 at Kyle Field versus SEC West Division opponents, 8-14 and 14 overall versus the SEC at home. I mean, you, you can't do that with that fan base with the amount of money that they put in those facilities over the last three, four years. I mean, we're talking half a billion dollars. You can't do that and expect to keep your job, right? Well, you know, and uh, you know, you know, Matt, that November is such an important month. It's a, you know, they say that it's the cruelest month in College Station. November against the SEC since 2013, A&M under Kevin Sumlin is three and ten uh, in conference games in November. And you know, uh, look, we all know that all college football coaches get paid a crazy sum of money now. But, you know, you're not paying somebody $5 million a year to finish fifth or sixth in the West Division. No one's saying, at least not yet, that he has to go out and beat Alabama. But, you know, it might be good to beat the Mississippi schools. And, uh, you know, last (laughs) year we wouldn't be having this conversation at all if you beat one of the two Mississippi schools. They finished sixth and seventh in the the SEC West. A&M lost to both of them down the stretch in November. And, uh, you know, what looked like a good season crashed again. A&M, it's almost like Groundhog Day, uh, except it's a season. You get into November, you start losing, you change uh, a different assistant coach, and the process keeps repeating itself. All right, we're talking with Owen Buchanan at TexAgs.com. Oh, let's let's get into the nuts and bolts of it, because looking at this from the outside as a guy who's not embedded like you are in College Station – what in the world happens every November that this team collapses? Is it, I mean, because they have dudes, only they got players on that team. So is, is it the coaching? Is it a combination of guys getting tired? Is it because they, you know, they're, they're pushed too hard in the offseason? What is it? You know, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's all one thing. I think it's been different things, different years. Last year, for instance, uh, Trevor Knight got hurt. You lose your starting quarterback and Miles Garrett was hurt, not playing it, uh, at his best throughout the year and uh and that you know it started to take a toll they've had depth issues so i think they uh they've worn down in the second half some years they got off to a good start and quite frankly they weren't as good as their start would make you believe uh you know i don't know that you can say it's just necessarily one thing i will say this if if depth is the issue then you ask yourself well you know why is it an issue after six years uh with kevin summon you know this year you got uh uh, you know, a redshirt freshman and a true freshman quarterback. Well, why after in the sixth year do you have you know, freshmen still playing quarterback? So uh, all the problems they have, what, whatever you want to put the finger at, maybe there's uh, bad luck with injuries. But, again, who doesn't have injuries? Look at all the guys. No one wants to be held uh, up and compared to Alabama, but look at all the injuries they've had. And, and you know, they, they, they keep winning. So, um you know, why don't you have more depth? Why don't you have uh, experienced quarterbacks? You know, there there's so many th- things you can point at, but it all comes back to, well, if you have a bad depth, then why haven't you as a head coach done a better job recruiting? Why haven't you done a better job developing? Um, all the problems, whatever they be, they come back to the coach. You know, maybe they just don't handle pressure well. Uh, in each of the, you know, since 2014, they were ranked in the top, 10 uh and i think in in uh uh, 15 and even 16 they were ranked in the top 10 uh even last year as you'll recall they were number four in the first 
college football poll and the the pressure starts building and there's more expectations uh, and then they collapse. So maybe there's something uh, just with a a mindset, who knows, but whatever it is, at at some point you have to, you know, you have to go back to the top, uh, you know, to the top and see, you know, where the problem is. They, they, they fired offensive line coaches here. They fired offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, and yet, we're, we're still at the same place. At some point, it's the guy running the show, right? Well, I mean, it, it would appear to be, and I'm not a, a Kevin Sumlin hater per se, but again, uh, last year, the sacrificial lamb was Larry Jackson, the strength and conditioning coach, and we were heard all off season about how Mark Hockey, a guy they brought in who had been at Georgia and Florida State, I think, and Alabama, how he was going to – he understood better – what it took to condition guys for the for the rigors and grind of the SEC, and he, uh, you know, had the experience and the background, and so it was going to be different. The guys were all talk about how they felt stronger and in better condition, and all the, uh, you know, all the things that you will expect to hear. And again, you get into uh, um, into late October, November, and you're right back to zero and two, having lost two in a row, and quite frankly. Uh, I think they're going to beat New Mexico this week and be uh, bowl eligible, but I don't know anybody right now that would just take it for granted that they'll win in Oxford or Baton Rouge. I'm not saying that they can't, but at this point you have to have a a certain uh, degree of of wonder. <laughs> so let let let's say what happens is what we all think is going to happen, and, and Texas A&M finally cuts ties with with Kevin. So given that, who are the three or four guys that you think Texas A&M will go after in a coaching search, a potential coaching search? Well, the names that, uh, you know, we, the, the first name everybody's uh, hearing right away is Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. And then I, I would not be surprised if uh, they made a call up to Washington to Chris Peterson. You ask why? Well, first of all, uh, at the athletic director here, Scott Woodward, he was at Washington. He's the guy who hired Chris Peterson away from Boise. Uh, and got him to Seattle, and uh, Woodward's also from LSU. Uh, he worked there previously when uh, Fisher was there as, I guess, the offensive coordinator, and uh, word is they have a pretty good relationship. Uh, so I would not be surprised if they at least made a call at both of those guys. After that, it's really speculation. You know, I, Would you be surprised if somebody made a call to Bob Stoops just to make sure he's happy in retirement? Uh, beyond that, I think you would look at it makes sense at least to – called Justin Fuente at, at, at Virginia Tech. You know, he's from Oklahoma and coached uh, several years at TCU. So he's somewhat familiar with the area beyond that. I think then you would uh, look at uh, Chad Morris, who was the offensive coordinator at Clemson when Clemson got rolling and has done a pretty good job at SMU. And, oh, by the way, he is an Aggie. He attended Texas A&M. So I think those are some guys that, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised you have to hear their name come up uh, here and there. But, of course, uh, Scott Woodward's not going to say anything to us, but uh, you know, I think that's some of the guy names you'll hear and speculate about. And, and Owen, I mean, a, a buyout or someone buying out another coach is not going to be an issue with them. Like even even the fifteen million of 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 uh, Justin Fuente, that's not going to be an issue for them, right? Well, I think if if they found a guy that they really wanted, uh, they'll pay whatever price. I mean, 
what do you get, $40 million or something like that from the SEC every year these days? So, so you can certainly draw from there. And uh, I don't know, the price of oil seems like it's uh, going up a little bit. So there's a whole bunch of, of uh, Texas oil men that might be willing to make a donation that uh, uh, if, if they like the candidate. So I, I don't know that money's ever a, a, a huge object for Texas A&M. You know, remember all this, these crazy coaches' salaries? If you'll trace it back, it all started with Texas A&M and Jackie Sherrill when they paid him the outrageous amount of 252000 back in, what, 1982. And that year, <laughs> they made their first call to uh, Bobby Bowden. He said no, so they called called Bo Schimbecker, and he said no, and they called Jackie Sherrill, and he said yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, repeat that process. They'll uh, put the guys that they think are the best guys out there and make some, everybody say no until somebody says yes. You know, it's funny. I, I remember talking to Kevin about a couple of years ago when he was talking about the new facility, and he said, you know, everybody says that Johnny Manziel built this place. He said, and clearly what Johnny did helped. He said, but what everybody forgets is the price of oil just skyrocketed. And all of a sudden, yeah. these guys had all kind of money in their pockets, and they wanted to do something with it. And that's where all the facilities are. I mean, the facilities upgrades at Texas A&M, it is literally an NFL place around it. It's a palace, everything there. Like, if, if I'm a coach, if I'm a potential coach, and I go there and look at that campus and see those facilities and see the commitment and the money, and how do you say no in a place like that? Well, you know, and, and beyond that, I would also say when you look at Texas A&M, I would ask any coach, what do you need to, to build a championship caliber elite program that Texas A&M has, will not provide? They will, they will pay assistant coaches. You needed a new, off, uh, a new offensive coordinator. Here's a million dollars. Hire Noel Mazzoni. You need a defensive coordinator. Here's 1.7. Hire John Chavis. You got, uh, like you said, this uh, half-billion-dollar stadium, uh, the, the – the locker rooms are as good as anybody's, uh, uh, the weight rooms, you know, all their facilities are there. You've got great fan support. You've got, uh, you know, they're going to pay their coach top dollar. And uh, on top of that, you know, you're, you're located an hour and a half from Houston, two hours from Dallas and three hours from San Antonio in the most football crazed uh, or per, or arguably the most football crazy state in the country. So there's all right. kinds of football players within, within just about three hours from you. So, you know, what else do you need to uh, to, to fill the championship caliber program? I mean, imagine me? if they got somebody. Imagine if they got somebody like Jimbo Fisher. Or, I mean, and this is like pie in the sky and it's not going to happen. Imagine if like a, a guy like Urban Meyer went to Texas A&M. Goodness gracious. The well, championships they could win a- there. Urban might not have been a pie in the sky deal back in 2003, but they uh, targeted Dennis Francione instead and got him away from Alabama instead of trying to get Urban away from Utah. And had they, uh, you know, had had, had they, uh, you know, taken a different direction, who knows what the, what the situation they would be? But you know, it's you don't just have to make a a change, but you got to make the right hire. And if you bring the right guy in here. I think Texas A&M could be a powerful program, but you just got to find the right guy. And unfortunately, no one knows really who that is. And you don't know if it's the right guy, as you know, until, you know, usually two or three, four years later. Hey, Owen, great, great stuff, man. I, I love talking like nuts and bolts with guys that know the beat and cover it well. And I mean, no one covers the Ags like Owen Buchanan. Go to texags.com, read all the stuff, listen to their audio, watch their video. They do a great job. Owen, much thanks. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Anytime. I'll see you soon.
I'll tell you what, I could talk ball with Ole for days, days upon days. Just talking nuts and bolts, players, coaches, development, just fantastic stuff. TexAgs.com, they do a terrific job over there. One of the best team-specific sites for covering teams anywhere in college football. You know, Owen brought up a really good point when, when he was talking about the guys that Texas A&M will initially contact, like Jimbo Fisher at Florida State, like Chris Peterson at Washington. And to me, it's very important, I think, that if you are an elite program or you hold yourself out as being an elite program, okay, you have to act like it. Now, you want to know why Florida's in the trouble it's in right now? Because three years ago when Florida went looking for a coach, and you could even tie this to Will Muschamp because Will Muschamp had never been a head coach before. But three years ago when Florida went looking for a coach, they hired Jim McElwain from Colorado State. Are you telling me that that was the best available guy you could go after? And I know a lot of administrators think that, you know what, I don't want to be out there having coaches turn me down. I get that. I totally get that. But if you zero in on the guy that you think you can get and you can convince him to come and coach your team, why not try it? And I think the perfect example is Michigan. Michigan knew it wanted Jim Harbaugh. Now, you can say whatever you want about Harbaugh right now, and he hasn't beaten Ohio State, and he struggles against Michigan State, and he's whatever and whatever against, against ranked teams. That's who they wanted, all right? That's who they wanted. NFL teams also wanted Harbaugh. He had a decision to make. Michigan waited and waited and waited, and everybody was wondering, what is Michigan doing? Are they even going to get a coach? What's going on? And lo and behold, they get the coach they wanted all along. They found a way to convince him to come back home and coach his alma mater. And if you're Texas A&M, and we talked about this, and you've got that money, and you've got that support, why would you not at least talk to Jimbo Fisher? Why would you not at least talk to Chris Peterson? Now, I don't, Chris Peterson is, is a unique guy because Chris Peterson's not a guy who likes the spotlight on him. And I think that, you know, Woodward getting him to Washington was a huge coup, getting him away from Boise State. I think the media scrutiny in Texas A&M, while not as bad as, say, Texas, it's still going to be significant because it's the SEC. And I just don't see Chris Pete leaving Washington where he's own, his own little entity there in Seattle, and he's kind of overshadowed by the pro sports there in Seattle, and, and there's really not much intense media scrutiny or pressure on him, and he just does his thing, and he wins games. He's very happy, and he's paid well. I don't know that he leaves, but I think you might, you might be able to convince Jimbo Fisher, hey, you know, you, you want to coach in the SEC? You want to compete at this level? Although the ACC and the SEC are getting really close right now. You want to compete in the SEC because you've coached here previously? And this is where you cut your teeth. We'll give you whatever you want, and we'll pay whatever you want for your staff. And that's a, that's a tough thing for a coach to say, no, I don't want that. I don't, no, no, I'm, not, I'm good. I'm good where I am. It's tough. I mean, make the guy tell you no. Okay, we'll get back to all things hiring, firing, coaching search, coaching fires in a bit. I want to talk now about the one team, the one team that has a chance to turn the SEC sideways over the next few weeks. There's a lot of, uh, 
A lot of genuinely nervous folks in the SEC office right about now. It has nothing to do with the reality that there may be as many as seven of their coaches fired and replaced by the end of the year. It has everything to do with Auburn, okay, the Auburn Tigers, because Auburn is the one team, the one team that can prevent the SEC from getting two teams in the college football playoff. All Auburn has to do is beat Georgia or Alabama, and the idea of the SEC getting two teams in the college football playoff dies on a cold field in the Deep South. And if you're the SEC and you're starting to feel better and better about the idea of getting two teams in, and you absolutely should feel better about that idea because Georgia gets better every week. Georgia looks better every week. Alabama is the standard right now. You could say all you want about who Alabama's played. The committee loves Alabama because the reality is Alabama really hasn't played anyone except for the week one against Florida State when DeAndre Francois was healthy and they played a really good team and played a really good game. But that game is so far in the rear view right now, all anybody sees is everything else that Alabama's played. And it's not, it's not a resume where you're going to say, I'm going to put that up against people. So Alabama is living off the idea that they are Alabama. And believe me, there's no doubt they deserve it. That's an unbelievably talented team with a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes and a defense that's absolutely suffocating. It's not even a question they should be there. I don't care about resumes. Georgia is the team that's building its resume that now is on national TV. Everybody's watching them. Everybody's starting to see this team. And everybody's starting to embrace this team. And now the idea of two SEC teams in the Final Four is suddenly becoming a talking point among the talking heads of the sport. And if you don't think that those committee members watch ESPN Watch Fox. Watch the bobbleheads talk about who they think they're for should be and give their reasons why and hear those talking points. If you don't think they do that and that sinks in a little bit, you're absolutely nuts. Of course it does. Of course it does. It's human nature. If you talk to someone and you hear their argument and you understand their argument, you'll embrace some of it. You may not embrace any of it. You may embrace some of it. You may embrace all of it. It's human nature. Of course they'll hear that stuff. And then when you start looking at the actual metrics, the actual who they played, the actual head-to-heads, the strength of schedule, and then the all-important metric, because we all know this is the all-important metric, the eye test. Because when it comes right down to it, the eye test supersedes all. And if you had any question about that, any question, All you have to do is look at last year with Ohio State. Didn't win its division. Didn't win the conference. Lost to the team that won the Big Ten. Still got into the playoff over Penn State. Was not a conference champion, which, of course, for the first two years of this beautiful system, that was the metric, the be-all, end-all metric. Conference championships. Suddenly, when year three rolls around and it looked like Ohio State wasn't getting in, wasn't the be-all, end-all metric anymore. Suddenly, it was best four teams, not four deserving teams, best four teams. So if you're talking best four teams, and Alabama and Georgia went out in the regular season and finished 12-0 and and playing that SEC championship game, are you really going to tell me that if they play another classic like in 2012, 
they really play a tight game like that? And, and why wouldn't we expect a game like that? that it's going to be a fantastic game. Why wouldn't we expect that? Are you telling me that the two teams that will go in to that championship weekend ranked number one and number two, let's just say Alabama beats Georgia, close game. You're telling me Georgia's going to go from number one to outside the final four. Georgia will go from number one every week of the college football playoff and then go out of the final four. Not happening. Absolutely is not happening. Their resume will be better than some conference champions. And there's a whole lot of crazy getting ready to go on in both the Big 12 and the Big 10 and really possibly in the ACC. There's a lot going on right now. And as long as Auburn doesn't sideswipe everything, and believe me, I'm under the impression that Auburn absolutely can sideswipe things beginning this week at Jordan-Hare against Georgia. I absolutely think Auburn can win that game because I think Auburn can slow down Georgia's run game enough to where they put pressure on Jake Fromm to force him to make throws in critical situations. And here's the thing with Jake Fromm. I've been saying all, all year, Jake Fromm is going to have to win a game for Georgia at some point. And then we're going to see, does he have the ability to do that? And last week, South Carolina literally put eight guys in the box, sometimes nine guys in the box, and forced Georgia to throw the ball. And, he, and Fromm absolutely did and made some big plays. Now, granted, the Auburn defense is significantly better than the South Carolina defense. That Georgia-South Carolina game was also in Athens. This game will be in Auburn against a better defense and, as important, against a better offense. And what does that mean? What does that have anything to do with Fromm? I'm going to tell you what it has to do with Fromm. Because if Auburn can score points and run the ball and dictate tempo like Auburn does, then you get into a situation where there's only so many possessions for Georgia and you've got to score to keep up. Then you're going to see what it's like with Jake Fromm. And again, I think Jake Fromm has played fantastic. He's done a great job. He hasn't put that team in bad positions with turnovers or dumb plays. He hasn't put the defense in short fields, protecting short fields. He's done a terrific job, okay? But here's the thing I have with Jake Fromm right now. We're nine games into the season, okay? He has thrown all of 22 passes in third and seven or more yards in that scenario. 22. Nine games in, he's thrown only 22 passes in third and seven or more. He's thrown four interceptions this year. Two of them have been in third and seven or more. Now, again, that's the down and distance, I think, where championships are won. Because you can talk all, all you want about, you know, you got to stay ahead of, you know, you hear the analysts, you got to stay ahead of the chains. It's got to be second and four, second and five. You got to stay ahead of it. The reality is you don't stay ahead of it all the time. The reality is you get in third and long, and that's where mistakes happen. So now Georgia's going to play a defense that can stop the run. That can put pressure on him, much like Notre Dame in week two. Notre Dame was from clearly far and away his worst game of the year. And I still contend to this day, Notre Dame blew that game. And if you're a true Georgia fan and you look at that game, there's no doubt Notre Dame blew that game. But Georgia got the win, a huge win. So you're looking at this Auburn team that can play defense, that can score points. Jake Fromm is going to be in a situation where it's going to be rough on the road. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a lot of adversity, and there's going to be some third and seven plus. He's going to have to make plays in third and seven plus 
And he's been in that situation and thrown 22 passes all year. 22. See, to me, that's a situation where he doesn't have enough experience in that specific metric. And you can laugh all you want. He's played nine games. It's different when you're on the road in that environment, in that specific scenario, and someone throws a little twist at you on defense, a different coverage, a different blitz that you haven't seen. Things like that are where mistakes are made. And in close games, and in games in November, the games we remember, everyone, I keep saying this, this in November is where everything, every little mistake is so magnified. Where a third and seven throw or a third and seven mistake can become a pick six or it can become a short field for the other team's offense. And this is where I think is going to be a critical moment for Jake Fromm in that offense. Because if Georgia can't run like they typically run, and Jake Fromm has to throw the ball, and Jake Fromm is in those third and seven-plus situations, then you're going to see, wait a second, let's see how this all unfolds now. Maybe Auburn could win that game. Now, I'm, I'm sure Georgia's going to do a lot to take him out of those positions, maybe throw early, much like they did at South Carolina. But again, it's different. It's different because Auburn is a better defense in South Carolina, and this game will be on the road, not in Athens, where it's much easier to look to the sidelines, call an audible, where you feel more comfortable. It's a completely different situation. Now, all that said, if Georgia wins that game, I don't care how they win it, especially if they win it impressively, they're almost, almost a lock for the playoff as long as that, the, the game against Alabama doesn't get out of hand. I mean, the reality is they could beat Alabama. So we, all, you know, we always talk about, oh, well, what if Georgia loses a close game? What if Georgia wins that game? Georgia could win that game easily. So my point is, you beat Auburn. You put yourself in a situation where, I mean, clearly this also takes into account that you don't stub your toe against Georgia Tech, and that's a rivalry game, and that they're a better team than Georgia Tech. They clearly should win that game by double digits, but that's a rivalry game. You never know, all right? That's a November game. They'll be unbeaten. There's a lot going on in that game. You beat Auburn. You're almost, your, your percentage of getting to that playoff, I, I think have to reach into the 80 90% at that point. As long as something doesn't go horribly wrong in the SEC championship game. Because you are not going to drop from number one in the college football playoff every single week till the last week. You're not going to drop from one to five. It is not going to happen. You have the better resume than those behind you. And I still think, like I said earlier, there's a lot still to go on in the Big 12 and a lot still to go on in the, in the Big 10 and a lot still to happen in the ACC. I truly believe that. Now that Auburn-Georgia game, clearly is important, but it's also important because there's a couple other very vital tentacles reaching off that game that I think could be critical down the road for numerous reasons. One being the idea that four teams might just not be enough for a college football playoff. So last weekend, I'm sitting at home Sunday morning doing some work, and I get a text from a Power 5 coach. And what he tells me is, Alabama or Georgia better lose before the SEC championship game or the college football playoff will have a quote. You ready for this? Huge mess on its hands. Because if you're a fan of an 18 playoff, if you want more than four, all right, 
If you want that eight team, 16's not happening. If you want an eight team playoff, you should do everything you possibly can. Rub whatever funky beads you have and, and, and pray as long as you can that both Alabama and Georgia get in the college football playoff. Because if that happens, then the rest of the Power Five conferences will collectively lose their minds. And that's what happened in 2011. When Alabama and LSU both played in the BCS National Championship game, Alabama got in over a deserving Oklahoma State team. But Alabama got in, beat LSU, won the championship. And the rest of college football had to sit through, literally had to sit through not only just one game or four hours, but an entire month of an SEC recruiting pitch to anyone who followed college football. Both teams in the biggest game of the season. Both teams from the same conference. And that did not sit well with the heavy hitters of the college football, in, in, in the college football world. And, and I can tell you this. In the weeks leading up to the, to the 2011 BCS National Championship game, the BCS honchos were still talking about an idea that Mike Slive pushed forward, the simple plus one postseason change that he was trying to use as a, okay, if this will be a compromise, he wanted the 14 playoff, but he was willing to do the compromise of a plus one. That little plus one thing quickly developed into that four team. More people starting to like that four team idea because of what happened in that BCS national championship game in 2011. Don't let anyone tell you any different. That was the impetus for change because the rest of college football The other BCS conferences couldn't sit there and stomach the idea that their biggest game of the year, there were two SEC teams in it, and it was basically a recruiting show for four and a half hours. Even though it was a horrible game, even though Alabama won and and LSU couldn't score, it was essentially a four and a half hour recruiting promo for the SEC. And whether you believe that or not, it's, it's no coincidence that three years later, the SEC network was born. And this behemoth of a conference now started raking in billions upon billions of dollars because of the SEC network. So if you're a fan of that 18 playoff and you want that 18 playoff, let me tell you something. You need Alabama and Georgia in that college football playoff this year. That sounded like Jack Nicholson. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. That's what you need. You need Alabama and Georgia. You get those two in the college football playoff immediately there will be talk among the heavy hitters in the game, and that means the athletic directors, the conference commissioners, the university presidents. They will start talking about what do we do now, move forward, moving forward to make this a better product, to make this a more inclusive product. That's going to be the key there. How do we make this a more inclusive product? It's also going to help, by the way, It will also help if UCF goes unbeaten because then you'll have the group of five screaming and yelling about inclusion as well. You need Alabama and Georgia unbeaten, or you need Alabama and Georgia, excuse me, in the college football playoff, and you need UCF unbeaten. It's a pretty simple formula that could start the mechanisms toward moving from a 14 playoff to an 18 playoff. All right, it's here where we move to the second critical tentacle of Auburn's ability or chances to knock the SEC getting two teams in the college football playoff sideways. So while we're all zeroing in on Alabama and Georgia finding a way to get to to the championship game unbeaten, 
we're all ignoring the collateral damage of what could happen there. And that means the end of Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Because fair or not, whether you agree with it or not, Malzahn will not make it to a sixth season Auburn if he doesn't win one of those two games. Just not going to happen. The athletic director, Jay Jacobs, who hired him, he's gone. And losses to Alabama and Georgia will leave Malzahn 1-7 and seven versus the two biggest rivals on Auburn's schedule since the 2013 season, since he took the Tigers to the BCS National Championship game, the last BCS National Championship game, after winning the SEC. Now, he wins one of those two games. He beats Georgia or Alabama. I think he saves his job, especially if it's the Iron Bowl. But even if he does, if you're Gus Malzahn and you understand the idea that you just saved your job with one win, do you really want to go into 2018 with the idea that you're, you're, you're that year's Kevin Sumlin? You're on the hot seat immediately from day one. January 1, 2018, you're on the hot seat. Do you really want to do that? And we spoke about this last week, and this is something that, again, I've had a couple more agents call me and talk to me about this. Coaches are now warming more to the idea of getting out before you're pushed out. Even if that means leaving guys that you recruited, leaving guys that you're invested in, you have emotional attachment to, leaving them to go to another job to restart your clock. And if you're a Malzahn, do you really want to sit there from January 1, 2018 and be be the guy who's on the hot seat in the SEC? Or do you want to say, you know what? Time to go. Time to go. And if Brett Bielema doesn't survive at Arkansas, and I can't imagine how he does after last week's just abysmal performance against Coastal Carolina, that's a nice little landing spot for Gus Malzahn. His home state, they love him there. He'll go back, slide right into that job, get a five-year deal, and he's no worse for the wear. Okay, let's move forward now. Let's talk about our weekly picks. Again, this isn't a coin flip. It's against the spread. It's not easy, and it's a lot of fun. 4-1 last week. The only loss, I still don't know how Kentucky lost Ole Miss. Kentucky, which legitimately had a chance to win nine games this year. And it's not like it would have been a hard thing. They have no shot now. That, that idea is gone. History. Kentucky let me down last week. Would have been unbeaten. But 4-1 last week. 31-19 on the season now. Right up at 62%. Not a bad, not a bad spot. All right, we'll start with the easy game of the week. We got Florida traveling to Columbia to play South Carolina. Florida facing its former coach, Will Muschamp. The coach that ran out of town to hire... Jim McElwain, South Carolina's given nine points, and, man, I'd give that all day. You can give Florida nine. I'd give Florida 21. South Carolina's playing really well. And I think even though you lose that game last week against Georgia, it's a 14-point loss. They were in that game for over three quarters. They played very well in that game until it kind of all fell apart near, near the end. If you're South Carolina, you're feeling good about where you're headed. And I think once... Debo Samuel gets back into the fold. Once Will Muschamp starts to recruit more electric and dynamic players on the offense to build around Jake Bentley, who I've been saying this for the entire year now, if you've been listening to this podcast, Jake Bentley is going to be a big-time quarterback in this league, and he's going to play in the NFL for 10 or 12 years. Once he starts putting pieces in around Jake Bentley, then you're going to see that South Carolina program take off. And I think... 
Clearly, Muschamp proved at Florida he could recruit. Jim McElwain won those East Division championships and for the right to go get his butt whooped by Alabama two years in a row because of the defensive players that Muschamp recruited and developed. 11 of those guys playing in the NFL right now. That's why they won the East. And you could even say, I mean, technically, you could even say Muschamp knew what he was doing in recruiting quarterbacks. Did not get them developed the way they should have been developed. But if you look at what Muschamp recruited at Florida, you know, people always talk about, well, they, could, they never had a quarterback. He couldn't recruit a quarterback. Well, he did recruit a quarterback. He recruited three elite quarterbacks. The problem is they couldn't develop him at Florida. Jeff Driscoll, Jacoby Brissett, Will Greer. The three offensive coordinators of Florida couldn't develop Jeff Driscoll. He eventually left, had a great senior season at Louisiana Tech. He's now playing for the Bengals on the injured reserve. Jacoby Brissett lost out on the starting job to Jeff Driscoll. So he may not be as much of a development issue. He just lost out on the job and decided he wanted to leave. Goes to NC State, plays really well at NC State, is now the starting quarterback for the Colts while Andrew Luck is injured. And then the third is Will Greer. Muschamp recruited him. Will Greer would have played as a true freshman had he not hurt his back in preseason conditioning. But because he hurt his back and because it took him at least six, eight weeks into the season before he started feeling better, they weren't going to burn his red shirt. And believe me, if you're Muschamp and your job is on the line, he very easily could have said, you know what, Will, get in there and let's play. Let's see what we can do. He didn't. Didn't win enough games his last year. Had to go. Clearly, he can recruit quarterbacks. He gets to South Carolina. He lands Jake Bentley. And Alabama badly wanted Jake Bentley. Badly wanted Jake Bentley. So did Stanford. So did LSU. So did Notre Dame. He was a big-time recruit. South Carolina will get there. Must champion recruit, but he's got to get the guys around Bentley on the offense to make that offense start to go. Long story short, I'm giving nine points all day long against Florida. It could be 21 and I give them to Florida. All right, next up, we got Tennessee and dead man walking Butch Jones traveling to Missouri. The Tigers, the suddenly hot Tigers are giving up 10 and a half. And a month ago, if I had have told you that Missouri in any game was going to be giving up 10.5 points, you'd have laughed at me. This entire last month, and really when you start to look at it, the last two months of the season are just going to be absolutely crazy for Missouri. You go from a team where its coach went on a tirade after a big loss to Auburn, okay? Barry Odom, post-game, after a 37-point home loss to Auburn, which came on the heels of a 32-point home loss to Perdont. If you lose by 32 at home to Perdont, mother of mercy, hang it up. And a week earlier, an 18-point home loss to South Carolina. He comes out and passionately defends his program and talks about what was there when he got there and how bad it was, and they're moving in the right direction. So since a 25-point loss at Georgia on October 14, left Missouri 1-5, and and 0-4 in the SEC. The Tigers have won consecutive games over Idaho, UConn, and Florida by a combined 165-49. to And suddenly, suddenly, they're a 10.5 favorite over Tennessee. And you know what? 
they're going to be favored in the remaining games too. Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. At Vanderbilt, at Arkansas. So this disastrous start of a season, a 1-5 start where everybody was running Barry Odom off, where fans weren't going to games, and they're still not going to games, by the way. They're still not going. It's embarrassing. They're playing in front of high school crowds there. So this 1-5 start is going to finish with six straight wins and four SEC wins. Six wins it'll finish with, okay? Let's go over those once again. Idaho, Florida, Yukon, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. Those teams with a combined record right now of 21 and 32. Arkansas, uh, Missouri's going to finish the season 7 and 5. And people, they're a bad team. They are a bad team. They're a bad team with a really good quarterback who's going to leave for the NFL after this year. They're a bad team that somehow was fortunate enough to play a team that's going to fire a coach in, its coach in Idaho, a team that's already fired its coach in Florida, a team that's going to fire its coach in Tennessee, and a team that's going to fire its coach in Arkansas. Down the stretch. That's four <laughs> programs they'll have played. So four of those six wins are going to be against programs that are literally in disarray. They'll be 7-5. and five. They'll go to a pretty good bowl. They'll get destroyed, but Barry Odom will keep his job, and it will be a positive step forward. It's the most amazing thing I've seen in the last month, how Missouri has gone from just an awful team, and they are an awful team. They can't tackle anybody. Don't let that route of of Florida or the route of UConn or the route of Idaho sway any kind of thought you had of them being a poor defense. They cannot tackle. They're awful. They can't cover. But they'll do enough to beat four programs in disarray and two overmatched non-conference teams. I can tell you that right now. They'll definitely do enough for that. That's going to happen. I'm laying that 10.5. I'll give Tennessee the 10.5. I still think Missouri's winning. All right, Arkansas, fresh off that riveting win over Coastal Carolina. Travels to Baton Rouge to play LSU. Tigers giving up 18 points. Once again, ADL all day long. I'll give Arkansas 18 anytime it wants it in that game. It's just crazy how fast that program has fallen. It's also just a perfect indicator of how quickly things can go south in a college football program if you don't have the right quarterback, you don't have the right mentality, you don't have the right motivation. And those three things right now are absolutely eating that program alive eating it from the inside out. And they're, they're just a shell of what they were even last year. It's a bad, bad look right now at Arkansas. And I, I cannot see a way where Brett Bielema keeps his job. And I like Brett. I think Brett's a good dude. I think Brett's a good coach. But it clearly has gone south and gone south quickly in Fayetteville. So I'm, I'm giving those 18 points forever, forever. All right, let's move to a critical game in the SEC West, or at least... Remember, we were talking about those television bobbleheads. Believe me, they'll tell you this is a critical game. They'll tell you Alabama traveling to Starkville in that snake pit after a physical game with LSU. That's going to be a tough one. That's a chance for Mississippi State to steal one. You're going to hear all that, okay? Now, I'm going to hit you with some reality right now, okay? 
since 2009, since Alabama's first championship season under Nick Saban, okay? Alabama has beaten Mississippi State eight straight years by a combined 23.9 points per game. And I'm telling you right now, every single one of those years, everyone, you've heard those guys on ESPN, you've heard analysts all over and radio and TV, this is going to be a tough one. Mississippi State's a tough one now. They just played a physical game at LSU. Watch out. It's a trap game. Come on. I mean, come on. In road games, at Starkville, in the four road games, Alabama's won by an average of 21 a game. Mississippi State's best team in that span, their best team, the 2014 team that was number one, ranked number one in the, in the nation by the college football poll. Star quarterback Dak Prescott, great defense, forced turnovers. Everything was going their way, okay? They lost 25-20 to Alabama, and it was a lot worse than 25-20. They got a gimme touchdown in the last seconds of the game to make it 25-20. There was never doubt, never doubt in that game. So when you start hearing about how this is going to be a trap game for Alabama, this is a tough one, watch out. Look, I think Dan Mullen's done some great things in Mississippi State. It's not easy to win there. And he consistently churns out quarterbacks that play at a high level. And he's going to be a guy that people will come after this year. Bigger Power 5 programs. But I'll lay that 14.5 points by Alabama. Forever. Again, forever. Yep, you got the 14.5 Mississippi State. Take them. The game starts Mississippi State 14 and a half, Alabama 0, and I'm still taking Alabama. All right, the final game, the big one. The Dogs on the road in Jordan-Hare. One of the best night environments anywhere in the country. Auburn's getting three points. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a tempting, tempting line. And again, I think Georgia's one of the two best teams in the country, but... You're on the road. You're in a just an absolute pit, noisy, you know, and, and it's, I know people will say, well, Jake Fromm, you played in Notre Dame. That's, that's loud. That's tough. Notre Dame doesn't even remotely compare to Jordan-Hare Stadium. It's not even close, okay? Not even close. This game is the real deal. And, you know, I told you a couple weeks back that the Florida-Georgia game was going to be tough, that environment. They took Florida out of that immediately. Well, Florida took itself out of that when McElwain talked about the death threats and then it was clear he was going to be fired and that whole mess. And that game really wasn't what it could have been, okay? This game on, this, on the road in this environment is going to be a very difficult spot for Georgia. Again, much different than Notre Dame. So any of you guys out there thinking, oh, he went through the Notre Dame. Notre Dame, if you haven't been to a game at Notre Dame, I can't explain it to you. It's not an intimidating situation. It's a impressive situation. It's a historic situation. You're not going to be intimidated by a game at Notre Dame. You will be intimidated on the road at Auburn. Absolutely. Now, again, all that intimidation means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Unless Auburn continues to open things up in the pass game. If they continue to spread the wide receivers a little further out toward the numbers, if they continue to allow Jared Stidham to work with his receivers on the outside 
allowing them to win individual battles, and allowing him to make throws. And not all bunched up in that phone booth, which they do a majority of the time. And I understand the idea of the bunches. Because you are a power run team, because a lot of it is misdirection, a lot of it is deception, I understand all that. But if you don't put Jared Stidham in a situation where he can make throws, where receivers can win individually on the outside and find spots in soft zones, where Stidham can use his arm, his strong arm to get it there, if you don't put yourself in that position, you are not going to be able to run the ball with Kerryon Johnson. Now, you could do it a week earlier against Texas A&M because Texas A&M didn't have the talent when you lined up and said, we're running, stop it. You do that to Georgia, and Georgia will stop it. End of story. They've got to be able to throw the ball. And, and I think if you look at Jarrett Stidham and you look at his progression over the last couple of weeks and really kind of three or four games and how they're starting to open things up for him, he's starting to get more chances to throw deep and intermediate stuff, which I think he's very good at. And, and I think Auburn has to finally give in and allow him to do those things. He's starting to put up better numbers. He's thrown one interception in the last five games. His touchdown-to-interception ratio in the last five games is 8-1. to one. He's really starting to see things now. His, his completion percentage is right near 70% in the last five games. He's starting to get comfortable now. And you've got to remember, he missed a year. He's starting to feel it right now. And I think if you're Auburn, you've got to give him the ability to throw the ball. And if you can do that, that will allow Carrion Johnson to get those big chunk games. And if he can get those big chunk gains, that's where you win the game. That's how the game is won. I think Georgia's going to win. I think Georgia's going to win by like a point, 24-23. But I'm taking those three points that Auburn's getting because I think those three will be enough to get me the W. And after all, it's all it's about, right? It's getting me the W and getting whoever's taking my advice the W. Again, I don't bet. I'm not telling you to bet. We're just doing this for funsies, okay? That's all it is. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's program. Speaking of funsies, we had a great time. I want to thank Owen Buchanan again. Go to texags.com, read all things Aggies, all things Kevin Sumlin on the hot seat. Big game this weekend, folks, big game. We're going to know a lot more about where the SEC sits after this weekend as far as the college football playoff. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, tweet your friends about the podcast. We'll move on again next week talking all things SEC ball. Have a great weekend. Everybody.